BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's Friday morning, March 5, and time for this week's roundtable with three top Washington political reporters. Debate starts today in the Senate over President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. 70% of Americans support it, but all 50 Republican senators oppose it. What are the chances? Health experts warn we're not out of the woods yet on COVID-19, but more and more states are relaxing or canceling mask-wearing mandates and other protective measures. Are we risking a new surge in coronavirus cases? President Biden sides with workers trying to form a union at an Amazon plant in Alabama. And on the personality front, the White House drops near a tandem like a hot potato. Governor Cuomo says he's sorry, but he's not resigning. Mike Pence comes out of hiding to echo Donald Trump's claims of election fraud. And Dr. Seuss has green eggs and ham all over his face. Well, here today to make some sense of it, from BuzzFeed, political reporter Addie Baird from the Wall Street Journal, political reporter Eliza Collins, and from Huffington Post, the king of the iPhone camera, political reporter Igor Babish. Hello, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Bill. Okay. Good to have you all here. So, um, Igor, you were up most of the night because, uh, thanks to Senator Ron Johnson, Senate clerks had to read the entire stimulus bill before they could proceed with debate. Uh, how exciting was that? And how many votes were changed by going through that whole charade? <laughs> well, it was certainly a, um, a boring night, I, I got to say. <laughs> it was the first time I had ever witnessed the reading, a full reading of a bill that size. It was 628 pages. It took 10 hours and 44 minutes. And I just feel sorry for the poor, you know, staff, the clerks yeah. who rotated in and out to try to get get themselves a little break uh, while they were reading this really just like full of technical jargon. You know, they're citing different various sections of the U.S. code and all these uh, acronyms. So it was, it was, it was really a, a marathon for them. And what was the purpose? The purpose was to satisfy uh, the objection from the senator of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, who um, wanted to, to delay this, the passage of this massive $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus slash relief bill that uh, President Biden has put forward to deal with the pandemic. Right. So, um, Addy, what, what's up with Ron Johnson? I mean, he's out today saying... <laughs> People are trying to destroy me, right? Uh. I mean, <laughs> look, Ron Johnson and a lot of Republican senators are great at using, like, the arcane rules of the Senate to get attention, to delay, to, um, you know, I, I think that this is this is sort of... <laughs> I don't know. I love these questions, though, because I never know how to 
answer them. I'm just sort of like, these are who these people are. Yeah. And and in a lot of ways, I think it does go back to um, Republicans, I think, are good at being in the minority. I think we we saw this, especially when they were the minority in the House. They are much better than Democrats are at mm-hmm. like using the arcane rules of these chambers to just sort of like delay and raise hell and annoy people, which when you're in the minority, like that's sort of your number one goal, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, but Eliza, in the end, um, this is going to pass, isn't it? I mean, isn't that we, we know what, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's absolutely going to pass. And that's why Addie's right, because really all Republicans can do to have any influence is to just muck up the process. And that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, we can expect now a Votorama series of votes that can, is going to go on for a very long time where they'll put all sorts of different amendments in to try to make it uncomfortable for Democrats to vote for certain things. But everybody knows that at the end of this, Democrats are united and they will have Vice President Harris to break the tie and they'll be able to push through this massive $1.9 trillion bill, despite all Republicans likely being opposed. So what they can do is they can force a reading of the bill or they can put up a bunch of amendments and just really delay the ultimate Mm -hmm. passage. Right. Uh, You mentioned the vice president. She was there last night, of course, uh, uh, for the vote on whether or not to proceed (laughs) with consideration of the stimulus package. Uh, And she fulfilled her role. Here she is. On this vote, the yeas are 50, the nays are 50, the Senate being equally divided, the vice president votes in the affirmative, and the motion to proceed is agreed to. So, Igor, other than process, what, what are the substantive, if there are any, uh, Republican objections to the stimulus package? Well, a big one is the, you know, the concern about the longstanding concern about the debt and deficits, which they conveniently, of course, uh, neglected <laughs> yeah. over the last four or five or so years under Republican administration. Um, and now they're, you know, they're back to banging on this drum that's a familiar playbook to them. And you know, they're they're kind of sort of going through the motions and nobody really seems to be paying attention to them. Democrats, which is a kind of a big game changing development in Washington, aren't taking them at their word. Uh, you know, as you recall, during the Obama years, um, Democrats had actually played the game on on debts and right. know, tried 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 to craft legislation that would pay for itself and, uh, you know, not add to the deficit. So um, this is kind of a, a game that's playing out right now that one side really isn't paying any attention to. And they've got the power, you know, they have the, the control of the Senate and they are using, um, you know, pure power, power politics to push this through, which is what Republicans used so well um, the last, the last uh, you know, uh, several years. Right. I mean, after um, increasing the national debt by $7 trillion over the last four years without blinking an eye, uh, it's kind of cheeky for Republicans now to say, you know, we got to be very careful about spending any money. Right? Uh, it doesn't really it doesn't really ring. But Addie, the latest poll that I showed, 68 percent of Americans approve of the stimulus, including 65 percent of independents and 53 percent of Republicans. <laughs> so isn't it doesn't the Republican Republican senators appear kind of out of step with the American people on this? I mean, 
look, uh, there's so many, the Senate is a completely broken institution. They do not truly represent democracy. The uh, Senate, and, you know, simply due to the way it is equal representation for each state, actually gives so much more weight to white Republican rural voters, much like the Electoral College. So, yes, they are out of step um, with, like, the actual American public. But the public that actually voted them into office um, is probably going to keep them there like this is not this is not a game changer for whether um you know the voters who put ron johnson in office are are going to turn away from him it's really i think like always fascinating to to look at the polling like you just laid out and then to look at the way uh that the senate actually functions and who it really represents it never lines up Right. Uh, Eliza, Igor mentioned this, but um, we are learning something from watching this, aren't we, about how the Biden administration is going to operate. Um, Clearly, um, the Obama administration spent all that time early on, President Obama did, trying to make a deal with Republicans, hoping against hope that Chuck Grassley was going to support the ACA. Biden's going to operate. I see. We see from this, don't we, that Biden's going to operate differently or is operating differently. Yeah. And I think Democrats are making very clear they feel like they've learned their lesson from the Obama administration. They do feel like they were burned and waiting all of that time. But it's also interesting because Biden's campaign was about unity and working across the aisle. And he really talked a lot about how he had relationships with a lot of these Republicans. And what is interesting here is a lot of these Republicans still actually like Joe Biden. His first meeting with senators was a group of Republicans who were proposing a fraction of a COVID relief bill. And he met with them. They left and raved about it. I think it was like a two-hour meeting. But their problem, they said, was Biden's staff, who they feel like he is trying to be partisan. Now, you know, Biden is the president. He knows exactly what he's doing. But it's this really interesting situation here where he's actually seemed to keep his relationships for now. It's still very early with a lot of these Republicans. But his administration is certainly Mm -hmm. proceeding on a partisan basis. Right. So one other one issue that uh, there was another very important hearing, let me put that way, in the Congress this week, which didn't get that much attention. But Eliza, I want to stick with you because you've been covering uh, for the Wall Street Journal, the Nas- the capital security issue particularly, um, and uh, the head of the D.C. National Guard, uh, General William Walker, testified about how long it took him to get the guard on the site on back on January 6th. Here's just a little clip from him. At 1.49 p.m., I received a frantic call from then Chief of United States Capitol Police, Stephen Sun where he informed me that the security perimeter of the United States Capitol had been breached by hostile rioters. Chief Sun, his voice cracking with emotion, indicated that there was a dire emergency at the Capitol, and he requested the immediate assistance of as many available National Guardsmen that I could muster. Immediately after that 149 call, I alerted the U.S. Army senior leadership of the request. The approval for Chief Sun's request would eventually come at 5.08 p.m. 
about three hours and 19 minutes later. Eliza, what the hell? Why did it take so long? I mean, that's a big problem. And we've heard other stories of other states, Maryland, Virginia, that were prepared to send guards much earlier on than they were able to. I mean, I think no one is denying or very few people are denying that what happened on January 6th was a complete failure. But now Congress is trying to figure out what to do about it. And Congress does not act quickly and does not act on a bipartisan basis. And so we're kind of watching this play out in real time. I mean, March 4th, Thursday, the House canceled votes because law enforcement said there were credible threats of a militia group trying to come into the Capitol complex. Now, of course, the Capitol complex has much more security than January 6th, and it would be very hard to get in. But the House moved their Thursday votes to Wednesday and was out. But the Senate proceeded. And I think we're just watching in real time how both chambers, how lawmakers are trying to figure out what's next, because they don't want the uh, Capitol to look like a fortress. I think there's bipartisan agreement on that. But they're also very scared. And so we're watching them really try to figure out how to proceed. Uh, yeah. Igor, you're there every day. Do you get the sense that that senators, members are happy with the way the Congress has now surrounded the entire Capitol complex by this seven foot high fence with razor wire on top of it is going to stay forever? No, I mean, there's bipartisan support. There have been bipartisan calls for the fence to come down. Uh, that was before uh, March 4th, uh, which, you know, there were, there were all these warnings about threats and stepped-up security. I, I was there yesterday, and there were buses and buses full of National Guard troops uh, again at the Capitol uh, in numbers that we haven't seen since, you know, in the, in the aftermath of January 6th. So people are definitely concerned. Uh, but uh, there is growing public sentiment and, and bipartisan support for, for figuring out when these fences are going to come down. Um, security apparatus in D.C. Could tend, to, tend to become permanent pretty quickly, as you know. Right. So the, the fear is that this is going to be uh, a permanent standing fence, and not many people want that. And, and Addy, meanwhile, some Republicans, some members, some senators, Ron Johnson among them, uh, are still— going out with a story that these were not Trump supporters at all. These were Antifa people dressed up as Trump supporters. Yeah, I mean, that's a lie. This has been reported out and proven time and time again. Um, Antifa was not involved in storming the Capitol. It was Trump supporters. It was QAnon supporters. It was Oath Keepers. Um, it's a lie. It's a convenient lie for them because it's a way to further capitalize on what happened and use it to blame the left. But it is not true. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's a testament to the ways that what Trump really cemented in our politics um, is the fact that <laughs> the fact that you can you can lie about whatever you want. You can really just say whatever you want. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and some people will believe it. <laughs> Maybe. Yep. Uh, right. Too many people. Uh, and if anything, um, the, the the Biden administration has been placing most of its attention uh, on COVID and on getting the vaccine out there with Johnson and Johnson uh, coming this week, which is getting a huge response, as reported this morning across the country 
from people who like the fact they only have to get one shot. One very high-profile entertainer got her vaccination this week um, uh, and uh, celebrated it with uh, in song. Here she is, Dolly Parton. Well, hey, it's me. I'm finally going to get my vaccine. I'm so excited. I'm old enough to get it, and I'm smart enough to get it. And I wanted to tell everybody that you should get out there and do it, too. I even changed one of my songs to fit the occasion. It goes, <clears throat> vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> but, you know, it's great, I think, for celebrities like that to put it out there. This is what you got to do. Get the vaccine. Uh, the one, which, Whichever one you can get, go out uh, and get it. Eliza, overall, um, uh, what, what, what scorecard, what score would you give the Biden administration so far on uh, getting on top of the vaccination process? Well, I think we'll have to see if they are able to keep the promise. But he said, you know, enough vaccines for every American who wants them by the end of May, which is great news because that's coming up very soon. I mean, I think Johnson & Johnson coming out really is a game changer, like you mentioned, because people can get just one shot. And, um, you know, the agreement to have them produced at a faster rate, that's all very good news. I think the Biden administration came in and really focused on vaccine distribution, and it looks like it's paying off. We'll have to see in the next couple of months if they're able to keep their promise, but so far they have seemed to sort of under-promise and over-deliver. He wanted, he said, 100 million vaccines in his first 100 days, and that definitely will be met. Yeah, they're going to blow through that, Igor, right, pretty clearly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's very clear, and it, so much, so many, so much good news in the last couple of weeks, especially the fact that they're moving up their timeline. And uh, I gotta say, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> I finally get that shot. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's every it's a challenge everywhere, right, to get it, but it but it is getting easier, um, and and yet. Um, Addie, there are the naysayers. Uh, the CDC is saying, go slow. And yet we saw this week, Governor of Texas said, uh-uh, we're opening up 100 uh, percent, as well as the state of uh, Mississippi. Um, so, you know, I guess there, there's only so much control you can have in a situation like that. Is that the lesson? I, uh, what's the lesson from this? Um, I mean, it is really concerning, right? Like it, it's, this is, this is like you mentioned, one of the things that the CDC and other uh, experts have been warning against is getting ahead of ourselves that we need to move a little bit more slowly as we um, start to return to whatever normal might look like. Um as far as, you know, the kind of control that the CDC or the Biden administration has in this situation, yeah, I, I, I guess that is part of the lesson, right? Like, you really can only do so much. Texas is going to do what Texas is going to do. What I did think was um, sort of interesting was um, in in his statement, the governor basically said that people know that they should wear masks. They know that they should social distance. So we don't need to tell them to do that. Um, which is such an interesting sort of logic puzzle to put yourself in. Like, how do they know 
if they are not told and if they're being told that it's okay, like how do they not know? So, it, I mean, it, it is very concerning. I think it will be um, interesting. It's maybe not the right word, but I will certainly be watching what happens um, in Texas as far as what kind of uh, cases um, we, we see reported over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I thought it was interesting yesterday, too, that a couple of Republican governors, West Virginia, and I forget the other state, Republican governors came out and said, no, 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 we're not going to go with Texas. We're going to we're going to stick with the masks uh, for for now. Uh, so much to talk about. We're just getting started here with today's roundtable panel. Uh, Addie Baird from BuzzFeed and Eliza Collins from The Wall Street Journal, Igor Babish from The Huffington Post. Uh, and we'll be back with our panel for the rest of the news of the week uh, after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. We were just talking about security at the United States Capitol. It's been uh, just about two months since January 6th. Uh, March 4th came and went with no attack on the Capitol, but the Capitol Police still want the National Guard to stay at least, they say, another 60 days and uh, keep up that damn fence forever. I've encouraged you to get involved in the crusade to take down the fence, and I want to do that again today. It's an eyesore. It's unnecessary. It is just plain wrong to deny Americans access to their capital and to their representatives. Uh, we don't have to put up with it. Uh, I encourage you to go to the website don'tfencethecapital.com, don'tfencethecapital.com, sign the petition, join the movement to free the United States Capitol. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's political roundtable here. Igor Babish joins us from Huffington Post, Eliza Collins from The Wall Street Journal, and Addie Baird from BuzzFeed. So, Igor, the Biden administration faced a little defeat this week with uh, they having to pull down the uh, nomination of Neera Tandon to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget. Um, in the big picture, is this a really big deal? 
Well, it de- depends on what by what standard you're going by. But if you know, if you want to judge it by how many nominees from uh, presidential nominees get defeated, you know, one or two uh, gets sunk for every president. So you know, in all scheme of things, it's not a big deal. It's the Office of Management and Budget. Most people have never even heard of it. Um, and, <laughs> right. and Biden has several good candidates to pick from who Republicans do like, um, one of them being the deputy uh, OMB director, who uh, Shalonda Young, who's very popular on the Hill. So, um, you know, in the all scheme of things, it's, it's not a big deal for him. But in terms of uh, what it does say about Washington, it's uh, it's interesting and, you know, depending on where you stand, a little outrageous that Republicans had put up this opposition to somebody who had posted mean tweets online, um, given, you know, who the president was over the last four years and all the things that he said and did. So, um, you know, kind of a, a, a neat bookend on, on that period of time. Right. Um, several Republicans have spoken out already uh, in support of Shalanda Young, haven't they, uh, on, the, on the Hill? Yeah, that's right. They have. And, uh, you know, she would I, I would assume she would get confirmed pretty easily. Her her in hearing uh, she was been nominated for deputy director and her hearing went very well. So I would imagine she would be able to get confirmed easily. But uh, what we do know is the Biden administration is planning to appoint her acting director uh, just to take over that role, be ready to go on, on day one. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, Eliza, let's shift to New York, where the governor of New York a couple of days ago had an extraordinary news conference talking about COVID. But of course, he was asked about uh, now three women who've come forward to accuse him of sexual harassment. Uh, And he defiantly said he was sorry about that, but he was not going to resign. Uh, What's the read? Is he going to survive this? You know, I don't know. We have seen other prominent politicians face, you know, big controversies and say that they won't resign and they end up okay. I mean, look at Ralph Northam in Virginia, the governor of Virginia, who, you know, it almost looks like he was going to be forced out. He said, I'm not resigning over a controversy of a photo of him in blackface. And it, um, he's fine. So, Cuomo is sticking to it. He, we have seen prominent Democrats in New York call for him to resign. I think there's also a lot of controversy surrounding his response to the pandemic that keeps coming out. So a lot of people are not happy with him. But right now, he's right. sticking it out. Uh, but, Eliza, would you say that maybe his chances for a fourth term <laughs> are somewhat diminished? <laughs> You know, I really don't know. I think this year has shown, I mean, he was the star at the beginning of the pandemic. Every state was talking about him. He was on everybody's TV every night. You know, Democrats were getting their news from him rather than the president. Obviously, they are not as happy with him, but I'm not ruling out anything because you know, look who was just our president. Look at these other politicians in both parties who have been able to survive scandals like this. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, Addy, uh, you've been reporting on uh, um, a young politician in another party who is facing serious charges, uh, thanks to your reporting. Uh, Tell us uh, what you found about uh, freshman Congressman Madison Cawthorn. Yeah. um, Yeah. Along with my colleague, Bree Sachs, we published a story a week ago today, actually, about um, 
a series of allegations against Madison Cawthorn. Um, a couple of them had been previously made public. A couple of them were new in our story. Um, we talked to more than 30 people, uh, more than two dozen, you know, former classmates of Cawthorns at Patrick Henry College, which he attended for less than a year um, and made a really strong impression on a lot of those classmates. It's a very small school. There's about 300 students there at any given time. Um, and what we learned as we started to report out this story is that um, at Cawthorn was very well known on campus um, and that RAs were warning their uh, the women in their dorms to stay away from him. Um, four women told us that they had been harassed by him. One woman, um, he grabbed her, he held her in his lap and some of her hair got caught in his wheelchair. And when she stood up, some of her hair was like ripped out of her scalp, um, which has really stuck with me as an image. Um, we corroborated all of these allegations um, with people who were there. A lot of these incidents happened in public in a dining hall um, with people who talked to these women immediately after uh, they they were with him on, um, in his car. Um, we reviewed messages um, and, you know, to, to go back to the Cuomo thing, Cawthorn's move um, here has been to ignore this entirely. They gave us a really short statement pointing to um, something that he said during a campaign debate last year when he said that he's never done anything sexually inappropriate in his life. And that's it. They wouldn't respond to any of our detailed questions. We gave them a lot of time to do so. They haven't said anything publicly since the story came out. Um, it seems like that is essentially the move for a lot of politicians at this point. Um, you know, I think that Cuomo is clearly addressing what's happening a little bit more head on. But the move is essentially just to hang on. So from Madison, no apology, no uh uh, no regrets and um, no demands for him to step down, correct? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Uh, on the political front, uh, moving on, one of the maybe the big question that seems facing the Republican Party, everybody from Mitch McConnell to Kevin McCarthy uh, and others is, all right, do we move forward with Donald Trump or without Donald Trump? Uh, most people seem to be the with Donald Trump camp among Republicans and among talk show hosts, including maybe the one that we identify most with Donald Trump is Alex Jones of InfoWars. But a couple of days ago, uh, a documentary filmmaker released a little clip about Alex Jones in private saying what he really felt about Donald Trump. Here's, uh, with all due apologies for his language, Mr. Jones. I'm so sick of fucking Donald Trump, man. God, I'm fucking sick of it. I wish it never would have happened. And it's not that the attacks that I've been through. And I'm not doing this because it's like I'm kissing his fucking ass. You know, it's just like I'm sick of it. Sick of it, he said. He wish he'd never met Donald Trump. <laughs> Igor, is this the beginning of the end for Donald Trump? <laughs> I mean, I, I, at this point, I don't know how, how seriously it takes Alex Jones because he's... Um, the worst. Uh, so I, I don't even want to give him credit for, for him saying this. Who knows why he said it or if he wanted attention or whatnot, but I'm, I'm over him. 
Well, <laughs> well, how about the question of the legitimate? It seems a very real question facing Democrats is, is Donald Trump the guy, you know, we, is our future hitching our wagon to Donald Trump's star or is that star already starting to fall? I mean, yeah, that's that's the biggest question in Republican politics right now. And I think it's obvious. The answer is obvious. They're clearly sticking with him. Um, you know, <laughs> no matter how much establishment Republicans want to want to drag the party away from him, it's clear that voters still love him. And he's clearly got this, you know, growing army in Congress who are behind him 100 percent of the way. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, interestingly, said in an interview this week that um, he would support Trump if he was the nominee again right. in 2024, right. which, you know, uh, a lot of people <laughs> saw that and were like, what? What? Like, what? Seriously? After you just gave the speech, you know, denouncing, condemning Trump for 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 what he did on the sixth and and uh, before and the days uh, leading up to the sixth, so uh, I mean clearly Trump wants to be um, the kingmaker and all these Republican politicians are going down to Florida down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring, um, so uh, he's 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 still number one I, I think. Yeah, uh, and Eliza, despite that, I was really surprised that at CPAC, I mean that's that's. The Trump campaign rally is what it's become, CPAC, right? It's all Trumpism. Uh, and they took the poll there about should Donald Trump run for re-election? Only 68% of CPAC members said he should run. And when they took the poll of putting him on the ballot with other Republicans in a, a pretended Republican primary, Donald Trump got 55% of the vote among his most ardent supporters. Um I don't think that's too impressive, huh, Eliza? Well, 68% is still 7 out of 10 people, and 55 is a majority. I mean, yes, I think there is room, even some of his supporters, and we saw this after the election, you know, aren't sure if he— they're concerned if he can win again and all of that, but he is beloved by his party, and I think the bigger problem is— there is not a clear second choice for people going to. It is splintered beyond Trump, and it is Donald mm -hmm. Trump's party. And so whether you're with him or against him, I mean, that's helped decide whether candidates won primaries. And so the Republican Party is truly Trump's party. I'm so glad Igor brought up this McConnell thing, because even the establishment Republicans who want nothing to do with him still have to be connected to him in some way. And so, yes, it's not 100% of his supporters, but I would argue those are actually still pretty big numbers. Right. Uh, I found it interesting, too, that in the poll uh, that Tony Fabrizio, Republican pollster, was released, I think, yesterday or maybe just this morning, uh, after Donald Trump in a Republican primary, uh, Mike Pence would come in way, way, way second, tied with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. So um, Mike Pence, not necessarily the second choice either. All right. Uh, now, all of this talk from COVID to the stimulus package to Andrew Cuomo, all of that has just been the, you know, the dry run for the biggest story of the week, of course, which is Dr. Seuss. Here is a little montage of all the media frenzy over the pulling off the shelves of six Dr. Seuss books. Here we go. Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Culture now coming, coming for, for Dr. Dr. Seuss. Seuss. President Biden canceling Dr. Seuss. Now canceling Dr. Seuss. We're trying to cancel Dr. Seuss. Green eggs and ham is out. 
First, they outlaw Dr. Seuss. Yes, Addy, Joe Biden canceling Dr. Seuss. What's going on? I don't know, Bill. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I, I like. I feel like I'm like having like acid flashbacks listening to that like little montage. Like I don't even know what to say. I literally never figured out what was happening here this week. To be honest, I didn't expect you to ask about it. I <laughs> really decided I was not going to engage. All I know is that um, Madison Cawthorn went on Fox News this week. They did not ask him about the allegations of sexual harassment that have been made against him, but they did give him an opportunity to talk about canceling Dr. Seuss, um, well, which is that's, just the funniest sentence I can possibly imagine. But that's the point, I think, isn't it, Eliza, that this is a good excuse for Republicans to get into the culture wars, right, and away from any substantive issues. Absolutely. I mean, Republicans have been rallying around the idea that Democrats are trying to cancel and restrict free speech. This was a big thing that they talked about a lot on the campaign trail. And it was actually something I heard from some candidates who were trying to sort of run in more competitive or battleground states, this idea that Democrats don't want you to have all of the things you've had because it's sort of socially unacceptable. And Dr. Seuss is a name that everybody knows. It's a, you know, a children's book author. And so Republicans have jumped on this. And, you know, to Addie's point, they're using this rather than real true allegations of sexual assault. Uh, and Igor, for the record, it was the Seuss Foundation, which controls Dr. Seuss's work, that decided last year, actually, that they were not going to uh, distribute six of his books because of some racist, uh, sens racially sensitive images that he had drawn. It had nothing to do with the Biden White House. Um, does I guess the question is, is this a winning issue? Do the American people give a damn? Well, I think Fox News viewers give a damn. <laughs> so, uh, yes, good point. It, I mean, it's more interesting in the sense that, you know, what what Fox News is airing are segments about Dr. Seuss and not, you know, uh, what's going on in Washington, which is this huge, huge uh, trillion, two trillion dollar bill that, you know, they could they could be working to, you know, decrease public support, perhaps for that bill, which is what Republicans want. And instead, they're talking about all these side cultural issues. So re Republicans are the ones frustrated that their messaging on this bill is not getting through to their megaphone, which is Fox News. Right. Uh, and sort of in an ironic, maybe, conclusion to this whole thing, um, apparently Dr. Seuss books are now selling more than they ever did because people are running to bookstores and to Amazon to buy everyone before they're all off the shelves, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Um, so good roundup of the important news of the week, but we can't let you go, uh, Eddie Baird and Igor Babish and uh, Eliza Collins. Without um, just checking in with you, the, the one story that caught your attention this week, we always call it your favorite story of the week. Uh, who wants to start off? How about you, Eliza? 
Sure. So I always love doing animal stories because <laughs> the news is just so sad. Um, so the Wall Street Journal had an A-head, which is just sort of a little funny story that they have one of every day about how pets have been gaining weight in COVID, too, because all oh. the people at home who are baking the banana yeah. breads and snacking, they're feeding it to their pets. And there's like been a real uptick in people buying treats and pets are gaining like 10 pounds. Oh, uh, yes. That, so we can identify with that, right? <laughs> right, right. They're gaining because their humans are going to the cabinet to get more food. And in turn, they're giving the pets something fun, too. <laughs> Watch out. All right. Well, once the pandemic's over, we'll, we'll all slim back down, get back to the gym. Yeah. Right. Uh, Addie, what caught your attention? Um, this is like really dark, but it is oh. the true answer to what caught my attention. Um, I don't know if anyone else on this roundtable is uh, has been following the Army Hammer situation. Oh, God. Okay, thank you, Igor. Um, so Army Hammer, um, an actor, um, has been – there have been a lot of really weird goings on with him lately – um, that essentially there have been some pretty serious allegations of sexual abuse against him. Um, he, there were some like leaked messages where he said he was a cannibal, which has like really raised the stakes on this conversation. Um, then there was this like whole time that I got like really invested in because I'm really bored in quarantine where allegedly Basically, he got, like, dropped by his agent. And then there was this L.A. Times story that was supposed to come out about him that just, like, never came out. And obviously there's, you know, we're all journalists. There's a lot of reasons why that could happen. But I waited for so long for that story. And there's just been, like, nothing. So then this week, um, Army Hammer was moving. And there's a great cut story headlined, well, that really doesn't look good for Army Hammer. They basically, it's just like so on the nose. He was moving and he left like a bound up mannequin in his trash can. Oh, God. So that was the thing I was really interested in this week. That's so dark after this like cute little story about pets. But that's what I came prepared to discuss with all of you. I'm glad I went first. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sorry, Igor. <laughs> Sorry. I don't even right. know how to follow that. All right, uh, Igor, can you top that? <laughs> well, first, I just want to say that I don't even have a pet and I gained weight. Oh. <laughs> so um there's an issue there my favorite story was and I, we sort of touched on it earlier but was this whole neanderthal gate um that that biden sort of set off by yes. calling republican <laughs> governors who are rescinding mask orders uh, you know they he called it neanderthal thinking and sort of dismissed it in that sense uh and then this sort of took off on the right and everybody got up all up in arms because you know he had called them a bad word and then the press secretary had to get out there and be like well no he wasn't calling them neanderthals he was just saying they were behaving like neanderthals <laughs> um and then of course you know republicans got all up, up in arms marsha blackburn of tennessee uh defended neanderthals calling them <laughs> resilient resourceful uh, they, they tend to take care of their own um and it was just a perfect encapsulation of uh how ridiculous everything can be and, and used to be 
<laughs> the Biden administration scandals are just like so online. Like everything about yeah. Nira, everything about this, everything about Dr. Seuss. Like it's just the most deeply online administration we've ever uh, had. Yeah. I like the scandal about stopping for bagels on the way home from church. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> big scandals. Well, uh, I have to do. So my favorite story of the week t- came out of uh, Sacramento, California. Uh, where I spent a few good years, uh, and a plastic surgeon out there, uh, Dr. Scott Green, you may have seen this story, uh, he was stopped for a traffic violation, uh, which he contested, and it went to court. And of course, uh, courtrooms are not open these days. All trials, uh, if they take place at all, are uh, on Zoom. And so uh, the trial opens on Zoom, and here is Dr. Scott Green, uh, in scrubs in an, in the operating room. And the judge says, where are you? And the doctor says, well, I'm operating uh, on a patient here in the operating room, uh, but it's okay. There's a, you don't have to worry about the patient. There's another uh, doctor here with me who will sort of watch over the patient while you and I are talking about this. And the judge said, no way, no how. I'm not going to risk putting a patient at risk to handle this uh, matter. We're going to have to reschedule it when you can come into the courtroom or at least not be in the operating room. Uh, I just found that interesting. I myself have uh, challenged several traffic violations in my life. Uh, but I think this, in 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 terms of Going out of your way to get out of paying a parking ticket or a traffic ticket, this takes the cake, right? <laughs> I would not. No, that was such a diplomatic way that you said you have challenged several traffic violations in your life. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it happens to be true. I didn't win them either. But, <laughs> but if I'm ever under the knife, I don't want my doctor... <laughs> Fighting a judge over a traffic ticket while he's while he's performing that procedure. At any rate, hey, great conversation, guys. Thank you so much, uh, Eddie Baird from BuzzFeed, Eliza Collins, Wall Street Journal, uh, and Igor Babish from Huffington Post, three of Washington's best. We thank you for being with us this morning, guys, and thank you all for listening. Uh, it is a time when we still have to follow the CDC and the advice of Dr. Fauci and others and continue to wear that mask and practice social distancing and be very, very careful, even if you are lucky enough to have been vaccinated. So please take care of yourselves and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. 